while I give the, my typical uh, introduction, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, how many of you had a bet or a discussion or a conversation that the snow wouldn't stick? <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was a little mixed on, on that one. I, I wanted it not to stick because I was completely lazy this year and did nothing to prepare for winter. But I did want it to stick because I hate the mud and the mess and the on-again, off-again winter. So if it's winter, be winter, stay winter, don't change your mind until it's time to not be winter. That's just how I am. I know you guys don't realize that I'm intense and, and uh, driven and, and so on. So here, I, I want to I kind of throw a story together in line with our teaching for today because how many of you have ever had confusion, questions, maybe even a church abuse or maybe a, a change in belief on the work or the gifts or the person or whatever you want to call it related to the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever had any confusion, any thoughts, any questions, any of that? Yeah, I think all of us have. I, I've been involved in conversations with people that make statements that I've never even seen in Scripture, but they're passionate about it. Passionately wrong. And, and it's, it's, very, it's a very important thing. Paul, as he writes about the Spirit, before he begins the discussions throughout Scripture, he actually makes the statement, listen, I want you to not be ignorant about spiritual things. He starts that here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he starts it off by saying, listen, I don't want you to not know things about the spiritual world. I don't want you to be ignorantly walking throughout. And the reason that Paul did that was the, the Corinthians had a whole bunch of confusion. I was joking around with, with my wife this morning. I said, you know, it's kind of weird. Reading Corinthians is like reading the future of America, the future of the American church. There's so much that, that, that we've gotten caught up in that we call the work of God, that I'm sorry, it is not the work of God because I apply it to Scripture and I look at God's mission and it doesn't match. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to work through his power. That doesn't mean that we discount the spiritual realm. And so what we've had happen throughout many, many years is we've decided, as humans like to do, we've decided to pick sides instead of stand in the tension of truth in the middle. We pick a side and say, no, the Holy Spirit is this way, and you can't control it, and it is an experience that everybody should have. And if you don't do these things, then you're not even a Christian. Some of us may have heard that. You may even lean to the other side and go, no, 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 no. If it's weird and I don't understand it and whatever, no, it just has to do. All you got to do is read the Bible. We don't need to worry about any of that different stuff. Just, just the Bible and then use the Bible to interpret the Bible about the Bible about the Bible Bible. And there's never any spiritual implication to what we're doing. The truth is, and I've said this over the course of several years now, the truth is never in need of our support. The truth doesn't need me to pick a side and go, here, I'll hold you up. How many of us have heard the wall cry out for help to hold up things in this building? None of us. The wall's doing just fine on its own. Truth doesn't need us. Truth doesn't need me to pick a side. In fact, it's harder to stand in the middle with truth because guess what? I don't have anything to fall back on but the truth. That's not comfortable. But the truth is the truth whether we believe it or not. 
The power of God and in the spiritual realm is huge. And there's a story woven throughout Scripture that oftentimes if we read pieces of Scripture out of context, we miss that entire story. Did you know that the chapters Acts 1 through 8 are a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 32 and Genesis chapter 11? No, most of us don't know that. Why? Because we're too busy arguing about tongues. We're too busy arguing about this feeling that I felt because of the Spirit. We miss the mission, the war that God has been in for millennia. We miss the purpose of what he's doing. In fact, it doesn't make sense if you ask a question, why? Someone tells you what their experience with the Spirit was or their lack of experience because that isn't how it works. You just ask them why. They're going to have to give one verse or no verses to justify because our temptation as humans is to borrow God's tools to advance our mission. To borrow God's tools to control. That's why when I have conversations with atheists and, and agnostics and people who have left the church and they say, don't talk to me about religion, it's just a system of control. And then I agree with them. Because it is. We take the work of God, a relationship with him, we turn it into a religion which is a set of rules to then manipulate people at the core of where they're motivated. Our spiritual depravity without God. It's ingenious if you're a control freak. It's ingenious if you want to take over a country or a world, hit him in a guilt position that nothing can fix but God, and then call yourself God. That's twisted. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul starts off, you're, you're already there. I'm only slightly fired up today. I'm excited about this because this is something that that God has really been working on in me this past week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. We're just going to read one verse for right now. We're not going to read the whole chapter, so don't worry. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Depending upon your translation, it may say ignorant. Depending upon your translation, it may say, uh, I don't want you to uh, go without knowledge, whatever your translation is. But if you go and you look, some of your translations may actually have a footnote or a note in there and say that the word gifts actually isn't in there. It's derived from the previous verse. And so it's really directly translated now about spiritual things. I don't want you guys to be ignorant. I have the same heart as Paul on this. I don't want myself. I don't want you. I don't want anybody that's going to listen to these recordings online or, or catch up with them through the podcast, whatever it is, to be ignorant of the spiritual things. Why? Well... If I had to pick something that churches will divide over more frequently than basic closed-handed doctrine, it's the concept of the Holy Spirit and our interpretation of how He operates. And everybody wants to say, well, my God works this way, and well, I don't believe He works that way, and I don't believe He works that way, which is, the, which is actually why God defines, through Paul, phrases like, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one work, one mission, one passion, one purpose. He uses the word one. Now, how many is one? Everybody, put your hand up in the air for how many one is. One, okay? One. It's one. One is one. One is always one. It's not one of those terms like, well, in the Greek, it actually means, no. In the Greek, you want to know what it means? One. All the grammar around it? means one. 
God's calling, saying, listen, if you guys say, I'm on a mission over here acting this way, but this group of Christians says he's on a mission over here acting this way, somebody's wrong, and it's probably both of you. That's how God's operating, because if there's division, it's not the Spirit working it. The Spirit is unification. If there's division, it's not the Holy Spirit. Remember that. It's important to realize that. Now, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if you ever disagree with somebody. But these pictures that we see throughout the church, how many of you have been in something horrific like, like a church split or, or a big fight where you, you had to close the doors because people couldn't agree? Was that a good feeling? No. No, it's a horrible feeling. And we only made it on one verse, guys. All right, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. I underlined you were influenced because that's a phrase used in relation to the Holy Spirit. God calls us to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the reason God differentiates is because there is one Holy Spirit and many unholy spirits. That's why it's holy. That's not his name. How you doing? My name's Holy. What's your last name? Spirit. No, that's not his name. That's just a descriptive term to differentiate. That's why we use the phrase most high in the Bible, because he's the highest God of all. Almighty means all might belongs to this God, to Yahweh. These are highly descriptive terms that God is using to differentiate himself from anything else in the spiritual realm. Then he says this, verse 3, Therefore, because you can be led astray, because you understand that you can be influenced by the spiritual world, therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit, in this case you can say Holy Spirit of God, says Jesus be cursed, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, some religions and, and certain groups have taken those phrases literally, and that's an incorrect translation of Scripture. These are phrases used by the Corinthian people as they worshipped their other gods. Many of them would actually realize that Jesus was another god, and they would go to their god before a race, before the games, and they would announce a curse on Jesus because this Jesus was for these other people in the race against him. So he would announce a curse against them. Some of the Christians would go in and use Jesus as a curse against the people who didn't follow their God. And there was this thing of using God, using Jesus to advance their mission. Now, we never see that today at all. It's foreign. How many of you guys ever saw the movie Blues Brothers? They were on a mission from? And that made everybody listen to them, Right? Right, that, that was it. How are we gonna, we're on a mission from God. Then everybody will listen. They'll do what we want. That, happens, that was a joke because that's exactly what happens. We see so often people abusing our Jesus for personal gain. And honestly, we do it ourselves. Sometimes our prayer life shows it. Sometimes how we treat other people show it. I had God speak to me one time when I was praying and I was thinking about the church and the bride of Christ and I was thinking of my bride and I wrote in my journal, I said, God, what if I talked about my wife or other people's wives the same way I talk about yours? That lack of unity sometimes. Man, if you talked about my wife the way that we talk about the church and other churches and stuff, I would drop you so fast. No one talks about my wife that way. Think about Jesus. He's standing up there, and we are beating the snot out of his wife with a lack of unity. 
And I, and I, I'm not going to, you guys already know, you can speculate all the way out. I'm not going to speculate. I just don't want to be on the wrong side of it. Continues verse 4. You can underline these phrases because there are people, I myself even taught 1 Corinthians chapter 12 differently than I am today. You go back years before when I taught this chapter, probably about 8, 10 years ago, to a group of people about the work of the Holy Spirit. I missed this, but because of God speaking, there's something additional here that I needed to learn, and God showed this to me because here's what it says, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts... But the same Spirit distributes them, meaning the mission, the word same, is in mission and alignment and everything else. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working or results or outcomes, but in all of them and in everyone, the same God at work. Why is Paul pushing so hard about the same, 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 one, one, one? Why? Because if we have some sort of difference, like I said it before, or some sort of disunity, we know it's not God doing it. Now, God may be prompting something in my heart that I'm reacting wrong to, and my reaction is causing disunity, but that truth isn't wrong. Sometimes when I've had the worst attitude in my life is when God has told me, this is something you've got to do in your life. You've got to change this. And so everything attached to that or anything that happens to me in my day is an enemy because I haven't chosen to deal with what God told me to. If God's working on us, sometimes there will be this this disunity or my dislike. And I've even asked it, I'm like, God, and and you guys have felt this before. We've made comments or jokes about other other faiths, other churches, other people that we call Christians, and and we have all the different nicknames, and you know, how many, how many of this kind does it take to screw in a light bulb, and how many of this kind does it take to do this, or why should you never do this with this person? We have all of that, and some of that's in good fun. But a lot of that has started from a point of where we want to differentiate because, well, we're Rise Chapel. We don't do that. No, it's not how it is. Paul gave us the example in the first part of the book of Corinthians. He says, I didn't come to you to try and differentiate on the fact that I used the King James because that's what Jesus read. And so if it's good enough for Jesus and the disciples, it's good enough for me. He didn't differentiate on that. Nobody's laughing. They didn't have the King James back then, by the way. That was a joke. <laughs> they didn't even, okay, never mind. All right, so <laughs> I could hear it drop like a quarter or something, just spinning out of control. Let's just keep reading the Bible. Verse 6, we said different kinds of results, but in all of them, everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, verse 7, now each one, and here's what happens. We forget verses 4 through 6. We all of a sudden go, to just, just skip to the part where, where the Holy Spirit goes on people and makes them do things. Wait a second. One God, one mission, one purpose, one passion. What, what is that, Joe? We're going to get in there. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Is that where the period is? Where's the period? For the common good. If you have another translation, it says for the benefit of others. The work of the Spirit in a Christian's life is not for them. Now, that's not something that we would hear in some churches. That's not something even I have believed sometimes in my life. I've gotten frustrated, and I have said, well, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to do this and this and this. Who benefits from that, Joe? I do. That's not my mission, Joe. I love you, and you will benefit as I work through you, but I don't do things for you. I do things for me, God says. 
God exists for himself. He is all about himself. And I'm okay with that. Not all the time, but I'm okay with that most of the time. He doesn't exist to glorify us. He doesn't exist to glorify an experience. He doesn't exist to glorify anything else but his name and his mission. So he says here that the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good to to benefit others. To one, verse 8, is given through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, meaning that the message of wisdom would not conflict with the message of knowledge. Why? Because it's the same power. To another, faith by what? The same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different tongues. Do you know what? why we say the word tongues still in the Bible? I've never, I've done missions work in different countries. I've never said, hey, what tongue do you speak in? What do we say? Language. Why do we still say tongues? Because we're religious, sensitive people. We think that it's some magical thing that's happening. That it's just an experience. No, the purpose of these other languages was for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Not for anything else. Nothing in Scripture supports the use of other languages for anything else. Now, I will tell you, I learned Spanish in high school, I took two years of it, and I hablo a little bit of espanol. <laughs> Donde es el baño? That's, that's, that's as far as I could get sometimes. But when I did missions work in Nicaragua, one of the things that happened, I felt a prompting while riding on a bus. We had just left a big outreach in one of the slums. And I'm on the bus, and I said, stop the bus. i got to talk to that person. And I knew enough Spanish, really, to get along. I wasn't that much of a gringo, outside of the fact that I, I'm a gringo looking. I'm twice the size of everybody in Nicaragua, which I found out through hospital and all kinds of stuff. But anyways, I, I, that's another whole story. I jump off the bus and I get down and there's this this young girl there and I just started talking to her. The only thing I remember was the first phrase I asked her. I said, do you have Jesus Christ in your heart? I said it in Spanish. Tiene Jesucristo en tu corazón. Everything else I don't remember. She started crying. She said, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Prayed for her in Spanish. Got back on the bus. Everybody was going. I'm like, what me? I don't hablo any español. And then <laughs> sat back down. What happened? God inspired in me a language that that person needed to hear what? The gospel. And I'm getting goosebumps again from that one. When I went and, and did, uh, did a lot of work in Haiti, within three days, I picked up the language that between my broken Haitian Creole and their broken English, we were sharing the gospel with each other. And you know what was the most impactful thing? If you've ever done any kind of missions or any kind of uh, even business work in other countries where English is not the primary language, the number one relational impact we can have on another person is speaking their language their way using their words to speak to them the truth that we have. Why do I say that? Because one of the biggest ministries we have in the Christian world is translating the Bible into what's called a heart language. If you're from a certain area of the South, how many of you from the South, from from North Carolina down, anybody here from the South? 
Now, I bust out something like grits. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You don't put sugar on that unless you need a salvation message. (laughs) When I say barbecue, that does not mean a grill. When I say barbecue, it means slow and low. Can I get an amen in this place? (laughs) Don't invite me over for a barbecue and then bust out the grill. I'm going to be disappointed. (laughs) You're like, "Uh, now it just got really weird, Pastor. You're speaking in another tongue. I was. I was speaking in the South. And some of y'all understood it. Some of y'all are like, why is he saying y'all now? Because I'm just transmitting the South out of me right now. Unless you're from South Florida, that's not technically, that's a different South. Actually, more like a North. It's like North Cuba, but that's just a jab at two people I love out there. I'm going to get beat up in the parking lot. All right, let's keep going. Verse 11. Verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. See all this in here? How did we miss this, church? How did we ever argue about this stuff? The Bible says right here it's the same Spirit. Well, we don't agree. Well, we're both wrong. Let's just take that stance. Why do we have to be wrong and someone else has to be right? Why can't we both say, you know what, I don't know. Let's guess. Why don't we go to Scripture? And here's what he says here. And he distributes them to each one. Is there a period there? No. As he determines. It's not conjured. It's not because some doctrine of where we believe, you can go to riotshop.com slash Christian doctrine and, and read up. It's like, oh, well, they say that this is how the Spirit should work, and they've prescribed it, so therefore that's what makes you a Christian. No. Do you know what makes us a Christian? Believe on and devote my life and heart to Jesus Christ, period. If we add to that, the Bible says that we should be cursed. It's a devotion and a dedication to Jesus in my life that there is nothing else I will live and nothing else I would die for, ever. Well, they don't believe the same as me, Joe. Do they believe in the work of Jesus Christ and have submitted their life to him? Well, yeah. Then go praise the Lord with them. Well, they, they do it funny. They raise their hands and clap. Then get your dang hands in the air and clap. The work of the Spirit is to just drive us towards the mission that he has, not ourselves. It has nothing to do with some sort of prescription of experience. It has to do with the work of advancing the gospel. Here's what I want to challenge us with. I brought this point up in the very beginning. The church has hurt many, many, many people due to ignorance of spiritual things. Like I said, we've got one side that that over-spiritualizes things that God simply meant to be actually physical, to be something very simple. We have other sides, and I've had conversations with people that came to me crying, going, I feel like I'm under spiritual attack. I can't find a victory in it. I literally see things in my house. I can experience things in a spiritual realm. I have been lifted in the air. I have had horrific things happen to me. And people in the church have said, you need to get over yourself. Are you doing drugs? Are you doing all this different stuff? Even if they were, drug use is the number one thing throughout thousands of years that has been used to interface with the spiritual realm. That is why, that is why God calls, calls us to not get involved in things like witchcraft, which is pharmacia, which is drug use, to get involved in sorcery, which is drugs and incantations in interfacing with the spiritual realm. Why? Because we can't handle it. We're not made for it, but we can't ignore it. So Paul says, 
Don't be ignorant in these spiritual things. Don't minimize them. Don't give them the, 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 the attention they don't deserve either. And then he continues to go into Scripture here. But let me give a history, a quick history lesson. In Genesis chapter 11, you can read this later, the Tower of Babel happens. Now, the Tower of Babel was interesting because what happened was is man decided to take of, and I don't believe it was even their own idea, to take of their own accord and build a way to match, to match the height of Mount Hermon, which is the mount which is in the center of Eden. It was part of where God would meet and his divine counsel and so on. They wanted to say, I'm going to be as big as God. Now, where have we heard that phrase before? So what happened? God looks at it and says what? He says, you know what? I'm not going to let them advance because they'll never be back with me and I want them. They would advance beyond something and be underneath the rulership and the leadership of the dark spiritual realm and I cannot allow that to happen. So, boom, other languages are born. And what happened? They were babbling incoherently. No one benefited. No one communicated. Everybody separated into their own language groups. The message of Yahweh, the creator of all, was not able to be sent to others for those that didn't know it. Why? Because they didn't have Rosetta Stone. They didn't have Google Translate going, hey, what did he just say? He just said, blah, 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 blah. What does that mean? They didn't have it. They literally, can you imagine that? Getting dropped in the middle of the rainforest, you're completely naked, and all you want is a pair of clothes and a Snickers bar, and you're talking to these people. You have no idea what they're saying. That's terrifying. This is what happened to the Tower of Babel. So they separate based on their language groups. Deuteronomy 32 speaks of God. Now, on the spiritual realm side of this, as God has handed over the nations and so on to the work and the control of other spirits and gods. To these powers that because they said, listen, I don't want Yahweh. I don't want, I'm going to do it my way. So he pushes them out and they say, you know what? I'm going to put you under this rulership then. You don't want me. But I'm not going to allow you not to be watched over. Fast forward hundreds, thousands of years. The language used by Luke when he writes the book of Acts is a direct, direct connection to the Greek that is used in the uh, uh, Septuagint. If you guys don't know what Septuagint is, it's what the Greeks used to read the Old Testament. So as Luke is writing, he's using Greek phrases from the Septuagint in Genesis 11. When the languages confused the people and the message of God was, was crushed and pushed out of the way. But he's using opposite language saying now that knew that these people were giving languages. And what does it say in Acts? It says what? It says that they heard the gospel in what? Their heart language. No longer was the message of God hindered anymore. Genesis 11, Deuteronomy 32 is now reversed. They now can hear the truth of God because what? The Spirit says, hey, that dude speaks Spanish. Boom, I'm speaking the gospel in Spanish. Hey, that guy speaks this. All these nations, the number one religious experience that happened in that time was the day of Pentecost. People from all over, nations listed in the table of nations in Genesis 11 and Deuteronomy 32, every single nation is not missed. Even to the point that the farthest away, the Ethiopian eunuch shows up and Philip reaches him was a country called Cush. And the table of nations is now clean. Language is not a barrier to the gospel moving forward. We see a purpose behind the work of the Spirit. So Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, is renewing, renewing their strength, renewing their purpose for what? For God's purpose and will. 
That's why he said, I didn't come to you. First few chapters, I didn't come to you to try and get you to know some bad doctrine I have. He said, I came to you to know Christ, to submit to his will and purpose, to advance his mission and passion, not something else. See, the struggle we have is that if we look at spiritual gifts, if we look at the works of the Spirit, and I just want to be very clear, I am beyond sold out on the power of the Spirit in my life. I give every single bit of belief I have that I find in Scripture that the work of the Spirit is necessary for the gospel to move forward. It is impossible for the gospel to move forward, the kingdom to advance without the Holy Spirit, God within us, making that happen. So don't get me wrong. It's necessary. But I think here's the issue that we run into is that we will look at spiritual gifts as the end. That if that Christianity itself, that the end of the purpose of Christianity, the end of the work of Christ in my life is this thing. What gift do you have? What gift do you have? I grew up in an extremely Pentecostal movement. And I remember as a kid, everybody asking me, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? I'm like, it's not even Christmas. They're asking me all the time. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, uh, I like Jesus. I couldn't answer the question. It was confusing to me. And if you guys know my personality well enough, I'm just, I always ask the question, well, why? Why? Now, I wasn't obtuse about it. I wasn't difficult about it. But I would ask, why? Well, why are you asking me this? Oh, because you, you, you got to have it. You got to know it. Well, if God says that he's going to be the one working it, maybe I won't know it till after. There's, if I'm not filled with the Spirit, you guys should start chucking rocks at me, literally, till I die, because I'm not teaching you from Scripture the truth of God. I'm teaching you the truth of Joe, and that's terrible. You definitely don't want to be me. You want the truth of God. You want the work of God. So my heart is that the Spirit is what's speaking, but when we look at the spiritual gifts as an end, we seek after something that is completely empty. Because seeking for only the spiritual gifts first, we miss what really enacts the work of God in our life. Completely miss it, actually. Here's what we have to realize, that the end is the advancement of the gospel in God's kingdom. Spiritual gifts are necessary, are required. In fact, the Scripture says we should earnestly desire them. But there's a greater desire above that, and we'll get into that in about two weeks. There's a greater desire above that, and that is a selfless love and affection and care for others. Hint, it's called the gospel, that the God of all creation, while we were still sinners, came down and died for us, defeated death, defeated sin, freed us from everything that we are trapped by, and gives that to us open-handed, saying, here. That's not conditional. That's unconditional. So the, the, the end itself is the advancement of the gospel. It is not the gifts. It is not the experience. Peter writes a letter to people in horrific, horrific persecution. Take the persecution that we have perceived individually here, multiply it by a thousand, it's still less than what was going on in Peter's writing. People were literally not dying, being stuck alive, tortured for Christ. And Peter writes to them, it doesn't, and here's what he says. I know it's tough. You've got a living hope in Christ that at the end of your life, everything works out. 
You know what Peter didn't say? You gotta have more faith. These things wouldn't be happening. You know, you gotta have a little more of the, mm, the spirit in you, you know, and then it won't, then we won't have these problems that are going on. You just you need to, you, you know what, guys? I know what the problem is. Cheer up. Because that's what works, right? If you've ever struggled with depression, if someone says cheer up, it's like, ha! Huh, I never thought of that. I'm so glad you're here. Your gift must be delusion. That's, that's what it is. That's thank you for the delusion. No, Peter wrote about a living hope that existed outside of time and space, that existed beyond our physical life and said, continue advancing the mission of Jesus because in the end, we have a living hope in him. I don't have a living hope here. And if any of us have ever experienced a full year where we never had something sad happen, I don't know what you're doing, start writing books. There is difficult stuff that happens to us all the time. And if we put our hope in this life, it falls apart. So Peter wrote about a living hope in Christ. When we think about the Holy Spirit and we think about the works of the Spirit, one of the things that, that we struggle with often is that we, we, we love God, we see Him work, and then we try and create this formula and this, 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 uh, this set of 1 plus 1 equals 2 or, or X plus Y equals Z or whatever, and we use God's tools for our benefit. And then we have this problem. We can't use God for our benefits. He exists for Himself. We can't do that. We can't talk to God. Scripture never says, direct God. What does it say? It says that when you have a prayer request, it's a request, not a directive. God never has called us to tell God what to do, ever. He's called us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. He'll lift you up. Submission is the first step to God working. You know what? Because it embraces the truth that he don't need me, but he wants me. That's a big deal for some of us. Some of us believe God needs us. And we feel depressed when we feel, you know, well, I don't have anything to offer God. You know, I know he needs me to be a certain way, and I don't have anything to offer him. I'm not good. I took a spiritual gifts, gifts test, and I got an F in it. I didn't even know you could grade it. Because God doesn't need us. And that's the beauty of his love, because if his love is based on need, when I fail, he throws us away. If his love is based on want, there's nothing I can do. He still loves me. He has a, a love based on his want for us, not his need. You'll see that in your friendships and your marriages. As soon as you put your marriage into a position of we need each other, guess what? They're going to mess up, and then you don't need them anymore. Our God is a God of want. He wants us. He wants us. So if that's the case, if God has a mission, if, if in this phrase in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one and one and his purpose and the common good and the good of all and all these things happening for him, well, we have this truth to wrestle with then. The work of the Spirit is for his benefit first. It's for his benefit first, not ours. Again, I want to reiterate this all throughout the teaching. I'm not minimizing the power and the work of the Spirit. Without the Spirit, there is no victory. There is no change. 
There is no evangelism. There is no discipleship. There is no discernment. There is no healing. There is no transformation of what's going on. There's nothing happening in this world, changing lives, changing eternities, without the work of the Spirit. But our job is not to do His job. Our job is to submit. Our job is not to try and put God in a box and say, here's the list of gifts. I believe the Bible's list of spiritual gifts is a subset of what God would do. Why? Because he says, I would do anything with anyone to get the gospel across. I will use different kinds of missions. I will use different kinds of gifts. I will use anything to get any kind of different results to the end of what? The gospel advancing. Paul echoes the same thing. He says, I would... would, I'm going to focus on being everything to everyone that by any means I might win some. Because the goal is not a prescription. The goal is submission to the work of God and his will. So if we focus on how we can serve ourselves in the work of the Spirit, we're not not working things how God asks us to. As God begins to share this unity, I want to share something from Ephesians says that there is one body and one spirit, just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling. As it continues, say this word with me. How many lords? One Lord and one faith and one baptism. We've got a lot of ones in there. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If the Christian church is going to be defined or differentiated, it's not going to be because I created a list that say, well, if you're not like me, you're not a Christian. It's going to be differentiated on what Paul said on the work of Christ, on my submission to his will. How do you say that? Why do you keep saying that, Pastor Joe? Romans chapter 3 and 4, Paul makes a huge argument against Jews that are in Rome. And he says this, he goes, you know, let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was called righteous. How was he called righteous? Ah, the first thing a Jew would say is, he was the first to be circumcised. He began that right for us. Paul says, well, go back to your timeline. Abraham was declared righteous before any physical act happened. Abraham was declared righteous because he believed, because he gave his heart over and his devotion and his belief over. He didn't subscribe to the right system of uh, Bible study or go to the right church. There weren't any, any back then anyways. He believed. So like I said previously, we go back to the simplicity, the one that God is talking about is that God is going to use different things for his one same purpose, reconciling his creation, his one same purpose to bring the people back that he lost, not out of his own failure, but out of our walking away. And we see throughout Scripture, if we look carefully, that God has a mission. God is driving towards some end. God is advancing towards something. Jesus even said it. He said that the kingdom of heaven is advancing, advancing forcefully. The Christianity is not a passive like, hey, if you want to come hang out, go for it. No, Christianity is crushing the works of hell. It is shaking the very pillars of hell and dragging out by any means those that are trapped by death and sin. That's the work of Christianity. 
The work of Christianity is not the social media vigilantes that decide to defame Lauren Daigle for going on and sharing the gospel on Ellen and reaching millions of people. How dare they? While they're sitting at home on the internet doing nothing for the gospel, at least she was. The church's job is not to make ourselves so separated that we're irrelevant. Our job is to infiltrate so deeply that we're relevant and the gospel gets across. We don't differentiate ourselves. Christ does. The Holy Spirit working within us differentiates us. As we take a stand for truth and have that agape-based conversation, that's what shows people that we're different. Not because I walk into their house and beat them in the face with my Bible. It's not what changes us. How many of us? That's how we became a Christian. Broken nose, man. Oh, yeah, that Schofield Study Bible hardback, man, brought me to Jesus. There's one. You're totally ruining my illustration. That's not, none of us came to Christ that way. It was the gentleness of Christ that said, listen, while you were uh, sinning for your entire life, I still love you. The invitation's always open, he says. It's important for us to realize that God has a mission and a goal. And if God has a mission and a goal, that ties back to everything God does has a purpose. Do we believe that? That everything God does has a purpose. Here's the second part that we struggle with, though. Are we okay if the purpose is whatever he wants? No. I'm going to be honest. I'll raise my hand first. No, I'm not. I want my way. Well, I don't like that, God. And you know what God says to that? Have your way. How many of us have had our way? Yeah, I've got this scar right here. No. We've had our way before. So if there's a mission and a vision, and God says that it's not about the experience, that this world will fade away, the requirements of the work that God's doing here to advance the gospel will fade away, Scripture says. You know, if that's the case, then the Spirit of God wasn't given for our experience, but for His mission. If Peter wrote and said nothing at all to people in horrific tribulation, said nothing at all to the uh, a huge dissertation, and as Brother Paul says in chapter 12 of Romans, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you need to just huh, out more faith and, and, and works and all this stuff, what did he say? He said, guys, you got to hope in Christ. And you can advance because of that. You keep going every day because of that. What was Paul's motivation that he said compelled him? He said it was the agapeo of Christ that compels him, the unconditional love of Christ that compels him. It was 1 Corinthians 13 that drove him. Nothing else. Why? Because that's God's mission. The advancement of the gospel. The changing of lives through the work of the Spirit inside of them. Man, I will speak for myself first. I do it on a regular basis. We steal God's tools and we advance our missions. I'm going to touch on something. And most of you may disagree with me. And, and you know what? Ask someone who's been here for a while how much I will be bothered by that. Not that I don't love you, but this is something we have to deal with. Politics. 
had a conversation with a guy. He said to me, he says, he says, no, you're a Christian. I said, yeah. He goes, we've got to get out there. We've got to vote, some, vote the right people in office. I said, okay. He goes, well, like you're a pastor. Like, aren't you motivated by this stuff? I said, somewhat. He, oh, so, so you're one of those. Like, you don't even vote, do you? So immediately, he's already judging me all over me. Thanks, brother. I love you. And I said, I said, I said to him, I said, I absolutely do vote, and I study, and I pray that God will put the right people in. That's right, right. You know, we got to get this person in because we got to save this. We got to, we got to save the gun rights, and we got to save the rights for women, and we got to save the rights for this, and all this different stuff. And I said, no, no, no. That's that's not why I'm voting. What do you mean? I said, tell me any vote, any political stance any of us have that has anything to do with anything else but comfort. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's uncomfortable to think of having some sort of dictator, some sort of tyrannical leadership in our, in our city or in our state or in our country, isn't it? It's terrifying. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Well, that's why we've got to vote the right people in, Joe. I said, you're not advancing the gospel by voting. What, what, what do you mean? I mean, these are Christian people. I said, do you know their hearts? Have you walked in their life with them, or are you watching the drivel on TV? Have you gone to the Christian website and they said, this is the Christian person. I mean, ignore these things. Don't, don't look at that. See, he went to church yesterday, so he's, he's a Christian. And I said to him, I said, we vote to increase our comfort. I don't want people stealing stuff, so I get someone who's got tough laws. I don't want the poor not getting taken care of, so I got someone who views that correctly. I don't want these things. I want someone to uphold Christian values. So I vote comfortable things. I said, we vote. Our motivation is purely our own comfort. And we do it under the guise of moral justice. Well, it's a good Christian value that I voted for, Joe. How can you judge me for that? I'm not. I'm saying that I'm just like you. I voted out of comfort too. Many countries don't have voting. Does that mean they're not a Christian nation? The number one most effective nation right now is under communist dictatorship. More oppression and murders hidden underneath the radar and the news than we could ever count. It's China. They're a Christian nation. Because the work of Christ is happening, not because they voted the right Christ-like things in. The Antichrist is not against an opposite of Christ. It is a false duplicate of Christ. That's what that means. Antichrist is going to smell good and going to be Christian because he's got a gun and a Bible. But that is not what determines Christianity. I love my Bibles. I've got like 87 different translations, Greek and Hebrew. I also love guns, and I'm not telling you how many I have. But my hope is not in them. My hope is not in the mayor. My hope is not in the governor. Do I want my children to have it easy like I did? Yeah, I kind of do. But if God chooses to actually descend hell upon this country, does that mean he loves us less? No, God doesn't usually work in times where we're fat, lazy. And I don't mean that to be derogatory. I mean that as a, as a statement, as a euphemism. Just lazying around, doing nothing, but just absorbing the work of God. What does he do? He makes it kind of hot shakes the pan around, 
We start wondering, like, God, this is uncomfortable. You going to trust me now? Well, I still got money in the bank, so no. Okay, I'm going to shake it up a little bit more. We're like popcorn, burning. We can't stand anywhere. It's overwhelming to us. God, you have to do something. Will you do anything? I will do anything. Okay, cool. Now, boom, work of the Spirit happens. I've told pastors as I meet with them and pray every week to stop praying for revival, but to pray for submission to the Spirit. Jesus promised revival when he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the forceful advancement of the gospel. We're in a revival, but we squash it as Christians. We don't submit to the will of God. Well, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. I, I don't, and I don't mean this to be mean to anyone because I said the same thing. I'm quoting myself. Well, I don't know what to say when I evangelize. Say something. Anything. the key to evangelism is not the right words. It's admitting the fact that the Holy Spirit's already been at work. He's the one doing it. So as we get into and we look at what Paul's driving us towards, now you see why I didn't even make it through 11 verses. I want to have a call to action as we close here. Don't get excited because when I say the word close, that just means I've got another 30 minutes to teach, right? I'm only partially joking. Here, here's what I want us to take away from this, this scripture here. I want us to realize something. God always empowers his mission. God doesn't call us to be paratroopers and then put nothing in our backpack. Man, man I was going to get ready to have a, a, a cross-branch battle there, but I'm not going to do it. God doesn't tell us to jump out of an airplane and give us a lunchbox. When God calls to do something, when God says, this will happen, he provides the power for it to happen. He always will. But the power is directly related in me to how advanced, or sorry, how aligned I am to his mission. God will not empower me to sin. God will empower me for his mission. And so when I say that, bring this next point I don't believe today that the church's problem is lacking in the spirit. The lack of the spirit is because the church is not on mission for God and his will. That's the issue. We don't need more of the spirit. We need more submission to his will so the spirit will actually empower what we're doing. If we don't have power for what we're doing, we need that to be a red flag that I'm not doing what God has called me to do. The work of the Spirit is the power to do His will, His way. Not my things, so I can feel better about it. So I can look better about it. So I can join in with the club that does and says and acts the same way. And here's the beauty. Scripture says that the Father is going to give to us the Spirit for us asking. That's a submission to His will saying, you know what? I need your power, God. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of it. The one thing that ignited an evangelistic passion in my life many years back was when someone said to me, they said, Joe, is evangelizing hard for you? I said, yeah, it really is. It's really hard. He said, maybe because you're doing it. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, why don't you let God do the work? Why don't you ask him to give you the power in the words? That was pretty amazing when he did, when I trusted him. The only thing that says no to sharing the gospel is those that are enemies of the gospel. 
So if we feel that, mm, I just don't think I'm supposed to talk about Jesus to this person. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, tell the world. And if the world ain't talking about it, he's got angels singing in heaven to share the gospel. And it comes through his power. If we're off mission and we're out of his, his will and we're going a direction that's us and we're going, you know, this is so, man, I'm so blessed, man. Jesus is so good. Jesus is so awesome. How relevant am I to you right now? I'm more awkward than relevant. But I said the right things. I was passionate. I was singing worship songs. And I wasn't motivated by God and his will and his purpose. Where the passion for God and his will is, there the Spirit will be empowering. And he empowers it in his way for his goal and his purpose. The advancement of his message. The forceful advancing of his kingdom. That more and more would be saved and come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of the work of Jesus. I'm closing now. You can put your notes and your, your Bibles away. And I didn't give the teaching title at the beginning for two reasons. Number one, I forgot. Number two, I actually it just trust that God brought the teaching title kind of to the end, and that is Ignorance Hurts. Paul starts off this whole teaching, this whole writing here in chapter 12, and says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Why? Because every single one of us have likely felt the argument, the abuse, the disunity, the uncomfortableness, whatever it is, by someone who had the wrong understanding of the work of the Spirit. Ignorance hurts. It does, especially if you don't realize skin, hot iron, you don't make the connection, it hurts. Ignorance hurts. If, if we want the work of the Spirit in our life, God tells us one thing. Be on my mission and you get my power. It's that simple. Be on my mission, you get my... You go on your mission, you're not getting God's power. You can contrive it. You can push it out. You can act like it. You can use emotions. You can use chemicals. You can use whatever you want. But if you're not on mission, and if I'm not on mission for God's mission, I don't get his power. Man, the second we submit, that's the beautiful thing. Here's what I want to say to you. I may have been loud or forceful or, or obnoxious or whatever I normally am on a Sunday, but I want to challenge you all with this, that, that if we realize we're not on mission with God, we're not submitted to his will, here is an 18-step process that you can go through to get right with God. I was joking, by the way, so don't even get excited. Here's step one. Say sorry, I want to submit to you Please fill me with you and not my own mission, not my own objectives. You know what step two is? Repeat one. And then step three, four, five, all the rest, of, just repeat step number one. What if I'm not a Christian yet? It's the same prayer. Christianity is not a matter of a prescription where I've got a paper you have to read and, oh, your grammar was off, so you're not a Christian yet. No, Christianity is what? It is a submission to God. That saying, I am not, you are, what do you want from me? It's accepting that forgiveness then as he gives it because then we can be reconciled with him. So here's what I want to do as we close. Go ahead and bow your heads. 
We're going to pray this morning. There's two things we're going to pray. The first prayer is for God to let this scripture sink. Sink into our minds. In fact, it's going to be the second prayer. I know what the first prayer is going to be. I'm changing my mind. God changed my mind. Here's the first prayer. If you're not submitted to the will of God right now, I don't care where that is, whether it's the first time you have said yes to God working in your life, the first time you've said yes to a guest who wants you, doesn't need you, but wants you, if that's the first time or the 50th time that you're submitting to his will, while every head is bowed and eye closed, I want to pray with you right now if you want to submit to him and his will. Just raise your hand this morning. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Amen. So here's what we're going to pray. You can pray it as loud as you want. It's not going to bother me. I'm already loud. But I want us to do this from our hearts. And I'm going to fold in the second prayer that we can all pray together. And it's going to be this. Just, God, I am sorry for advancing my mission and not yours. I am sorry for trusting in my power and not yours. Thank you for forgiving me, God. Thank you for sending Christ to work inside of me, God. And help me to operate in my life by your power alone. And may your Holy Spirit be the only spirit in charge of my life. Thank you, God. And then for all of us together as we pray, I'll just pray this in closing. God, I, I pray that this teaching, that this, this time in Scripture would keep chipping away at some of our frustration, our concerns, our hurts, our ignorance about the work of the Spirit. God, I pray that we would stop seeking an experience, but would just seek you. That we would seek to be totally, totally encompassed by your work and mission, God. Not to build up our own dynasty, our own legend, our own passion and desires, but that we would put those aside, God, and that we would just be completely overwhelmed with your mission, God. God, we love you. And I pray that we would be overwhelmed with that love for you. And it would infect every aspect of our life. That we would be not the obnoxious, but the annoying Christian. The one that the world just, it's kind of like a stinky smell. You keep going back to it. God, help us to be a fragrance in this world that people have to ask, what is wrong? And we'll share with them what's right. God, you've already promised revival. I, I'm sorry for not submitting to you and taking part in that revival you want to cause. Use us, God. Help us to submit to you, God. May your spirit be the only power we trust in. Amen.